The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. I'm excited to introduce my friend, Steve Burry. He is the executive director of Urban Impact. In fact, he's here in studio, which I love. I love when folks come here in studio. And we're going to talk about what's going on with Urban Impact, which has been an incredible nonprofit here in the region for many, many years. And they help lead, along with Steve, the Martin Luther King Jr. Prayer Breakfast, which is coming up this Monday. So super excited to have Steve. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. And I, I'll even just throw in, it's the Reverend Dr. Martin yes, Luther King Jr. Yes. Because we emphasize the spiritual legacy as well as his uh, civil rights activism and the work he did for the common good. Absolutely. Well, tell us, Steve, let's let's kind of just dive into that because that's coming up on Monday. And this you've been I mean, you've been planning this with a group, great group of folks, which, by the way, I am sorry, I'm just going to I've been a part of helping that a little bit. But the time frame get you you have your meetings at 4 p.m. We have our meetings during your radio show during this show. So maybe we <laughs> the next time maybe we let's plan it actually on the show live. Oh, there you that, go. That'd be there a good go. idea. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so t- uh, this I mean, I know you guys have incredible plans. In fact. You know, this is we're back to in person this well, year, poor partly. Yeah, we're doing what they call it a hybrid where we are in person at the Seattle Sheridan at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, celebrating Martin Luther King Day on the day. And um, we are also going to be streaming live, launching at 730. So we're giving people a chance to eat some breakfast and you don't and the live folks, the virtual folks don't have to watch us eat breakfast. And uh, then we'll go virtual at 730. So you can check it out at uh mlkprayerbreakfast.com mlkprayerbreakfast.com we're excited it's a legacy it's the 10th anniversary uh, of the event this year and we're very very excited about it yeah i think i i think i went to the first one was it at up uh, not upc was that first press yeah it was downstairs in the basement in, of in first the basement press. Yeah. yeah that was i mean that was obviously it, it's fun to be part of something that that just starts right cuz yep. you cuz and that's the thing that's really cool is because um you know, seeing it from that first one to now, right? I mean, that's a, it, it's been really neat to see the progression of that. Steve, why, why did you get involved with this? Well, uh, honestly, the first reason I got involved was the founders, Donnie Griffin and uh, Reverend Alan Belton were good friends and uh, supporting whatever they put together was, you know, part of my passion, but urban impact became the fiscal sponsor of the event. And then uh, Alan and Donnie stepped away. Alan retired and we took it on and continue, just saw the passion for it. Two things. We're trying to bring together um, a, a cross-sector of communities throughout Seattle. So uh, business people, education people, uh, faith folks, church folks, um, kind of the downtown and suburban quarter. Bring everybody together to really celebrate the work of Dr. King and to, to really look at the, the spiritual legacy that he was a preacher first, um, but that the, his, his spiritual motivation moved him to get involved in in social good and to, to to pioneer the civil rights movement with a number of other pastors and we often there's a lot of ML King stuff that happens a lot of people remember the the, the kind of equity and and issues of 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 justice and but they forget the spiritual reconciliation side the side of really looking at what drove his passion um, and so 
we use it to really celebrate that. And so it's a uh, it's a faith filled event. It's a it's a prayer breakfast, uh, but it is full of just some really exciting voices and 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 music as well. What can folks expect? Yeah, they can. So a couple of key things happen. We do a we do some great music. There's going to be this year. I'm really excited. We have some young voices, some voices that are, are, we're we're really excited about kind of sharing with Seattle. Um, we've got some um, some good music. We have some powerful spoken word. We give away um, awards. We call them for the Vision from the Mountaintop Awards, and we give them to leaders who have been pioneering works in justice and equity and reconciliation. Folks who really have the character and the and the work uh, that we want to promote and support. And we're and we, we've had so many people to recognize. We'll be giving away about five awards this year. Um, six awards, excuse me, this year. We give away awards for community leaders, for education leaders, for business leaders. And then we started last year giving a Lifetime Achievement Award to some of our seniors um, that have been really pioneering this work for, for years, the mm. elders in, in the community. So, And then you can expect a really dynamic keynote. Um, the keynote this year will be uh, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III uh, out of uh, – Chicago, Illinois, and uh, lots of good connections to the historic movement of civil rights, as well as just a current voice um, in justice and reconciliation from a real strong biblical perspective. Yeah. Tell us, Steve, what what was the, give us the genesis of your involvement, not just in this event, but just, you know, even prior, going back to, you know, the things that just kind of burned in your soul, right? Yeah. To want to be involved, uh, the passion you have for um, the works of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, talk to us about that. Yeah. So I I was raised in a, a ministry family with a youth work passion and, and went to work initially for the organization Youth for Christ with a with a real passion to, to see young people come to know uh, Jesus Christ in a personal way. In that process, I started to run into kids who couldn't read and, and, you know, discipling somebody who can't read, you know, you need to teach them, uh, you know, to read as well as teach them the Bible. You can't you can't give a Bible to somebody who can't read and expect it to have fruit. Um, I also started to run into kids who because of drugs, because of social problems, because of social ills, their families were deconstructed and crazy and chaotic. And I realized our society had created systems and structures that weren't equitable and um, seeing that, I, I, all of a sudden, the the evangelism alone, if you will, wasn't enough. My heart was breaking for the social ills in society. Um, and I got introduced into the African-American community and have spent the last 35 years kind of serving and living and married into the African-American community and just started to see the inequities, started to see the, how how the kind of racism I grew up with was impacting others. And um, seeing that there was such a different way that the Bible was speaking to me about connecting people and connecting groups and and dismantling some of the systems and structures um, that I was seeing that were creating those kids that couldn't read, that were, you know, an education system that was not equitable across the board for every kid. Um, and and it just started to, to burn in me to get involved I got introduced to this idea called Christian Community Development. It's the principles that Urban Impact is founded in. Kind of the rest is history. I just got I kind of moved into the neighborhood. I I married into the community, and I have just been living and and hanging out and doing the work that I've done uh, for the last thirty five years. Wow, thirty five years. Yeah, Steve. Nineteen eighty, we got started. That's a that's a good run. I mean yeah. that 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 puts you at what 
50? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I, I do want to say thank you for your service. I mean, I, that's something that is to me is, is probably the most stirring, moving thing to me is when I see uh, leaders like yourself who have, uh, who have just served in a, and particularly in one place, area, neighborhood. And, and that's just their, that's their calling. They're having a faithful presence um, there. And man, I appreciate that a lot. The joy for me comes, you know, you sit around there talking about that committee. We have a group of community organizations that are planning this committee together. And the joy is I get to not only work with a bunch of friends, but also probably three or four members of that committee are people I've known since they were in junior high or high school and have kind of come up through the community, not always from my or our ministry directly, but have been in and around the neighborhood. And you get to see and watch them grow and experience kind of generational ministry life that's really been exciting for me. Give us a a highlight of the inspiration when you think of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Give us uh, give our listeners um, an insight to something that is meaningful to you about, you know, his ministry and his work. So one of the things that we do every year, it's a prayer breakfast. So we want to spend some time praying. And Dr. King wrote a book um, or it's a compilation of prayers of his called Thou Dear God. And preparing for this breakfast, I was reading the background of the prayer that we chose that we have a person that's praying one of Dr. King's prayers over Seattle. And the background was um, he wrote this prayer after receiving a phone call by a kind of white nationalist who threatened his life and uh, had kind of declared to him that he was going to kill him. And he was in the middle of the civil rights movement and he's carrying that load sitting at his kitchen table and he says in this book that he had one of the most dynamic experiences with the presence of God, of the divine, is how he says it in his book, um, right after that moment. And I think folks that experience this heavy pressure and weight of conflict, so this was a threat on his life, but then turn to a foundation that's so greater than the rest of us and have this experience with God in the midst of the pressures of that threat. Um, and it motivated him to, to pen this prayer of, you know, that we are, and it was a, a prayer of identifying our humanity, that we're broken people and that without a savior, without a God, without a foundation that's outside of ourselves rooted in the creator, we don't have a way through and it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. And, I, so I'm really motivated by, and that's why we talk about this, we call it the Reverend Dr. King, because it's, I'm really motivated by the fact that it was God that, and the foundation of the church that motivated him to do the work that he did and to stand in the gaps that he stood. Because mm. I don't think civil action alone is going to solve what we need. I, I love activism. I love the people that are marching and, and campaigning for key elements. But without a foundation of who God is, it doesn't get us where we need to go. Steve, uh, you know, Urban Impact, you said, what, 35 years? It's been um, it's been a nonprofit uh, doing incredible work. I mean, talk to us. And I know there's a lot of great things going on this year right now. But give give listeners kind of the high level of what Urban Impact is. Yep, yep. Uh, our mission is to break the cycle of social, material, and spiritual poverty and build healthy communities. 
and we have kind of five focus areas. We've looked at at what are all the things that build healthy community and kind of have our seven seven foundations that build a healthy community, and that motivates us to be involved in the kind of following areas. We do a lot in neighborhood transformation, and that really is focused taking churches and helping them think about the neighborhood around them and how they can meet real practical needs and connect with people uh, and, and bring community and, and really be present in a neighborhood. Uh, we also are, are, we started a fitness center, uh, 19, 2004. So what was that? Uh, 20 or 17 years ago, something like that and have a focus on health and wellness. So we're really in the Rainer beach neighborhood. Rainer health and fitness is a community gym that kind of brings our community together and focuses on fitness and, and, and helps make healthy people. We have a strong economic development area and in fact we're just launching our uh, third thrive business academy which is a business accelerator we also do some entrepreneurship development called sharks at the beach and uh, wait we, sharks at the beach sharks at the beach Whoa. so shark tank okay and rainier beach and so it's wow. the, a focus on entrepreneurship and uh, we've had a lot of attention for that we've been we served about 100 businesses last year uh, i think half of those were new entrepreneurs trying to engage in Get their business idea out there. COVID was on us, and so people were wanting to create a side hustle, and so we helped stir entrepreneurship. And then the academy, the Thrive Academy, really grows their business, helps them think about and get ready for funding, kind of leverage and accelerate their their business. Uh, we do a fair amount in youth development, youth and family development. We steward a chaplaincy program for King County, uh, for all of King County, and from Echo Glen to the Twelfth uh, and Alder Building, and um, and, and work with student-athletes all under our youth development. And then Pastor Harvey and I, have, he's an African-American pastor in the neighborhood, and I, as a white guy in the community, have uh, done a lot of work in racial reconciliation. And so we have we this year kind of launched a division wrestling with kind of issues around race and kind of help our community think differently about bringing people together. The Martin Luther King Prayer Breakfast on Monday fits under that area of mm-hmm. our ministry. And what are, the, what are those things that you're thinking about around that? Around race and reconciliation? Yeah. I mean, what um, are the initiatives you're thinking about? Yeah, so Pastor Harvey leads a group of pastors uh, that, that are connected together, starting to build relationships and build trust, because sometimes we try to jump into projects before we really have trust and have really had the hard conversations, or as he would say, the courageous conversations that are hard to talk about, but you can have those conversations with friends and trusted spaces. Um, and and uh, we st- pioneered uh, right after George Floyd's murder a group called Navigating White Identity, and we've done the, the workshop. It's a four-week uh, workshop twice, and it really helps guys like me think about how do I unpack all the things that I understand and don't understand about race and engagement with other cultures, and how do I really un- tackle some of the the internal, but I don't want to be blamed for everything, but I want to. I need to understand what about our culture, our society, some of the systemic issues Am I just ignorant of and need to need to wrestle with? Um, and so it's a it's a safe space for white folks to kind of unpack how they're feeling, how that we, we, we unpacked critical race theory, we unpacked um, kind of white privilege, we unpa- unpack racism and and kind of how systemic issues are built um, in our culture and, and kind of what is white identity about and how do we be good partners and friends. Yeah. I mean, tell me what, what have you seen as kind of fruits and fruitful conversations uh, around, around that and practically speaking? Cause I think that's a, that is, you know, continuing to become one of those kind of wedge issues, right. In the sense of like when you, you brought up critical race theory, right. Yeah. 
and and there's certainly there's things there's ways that it gets reported and there's ways that it works out practically have you seen some really exciting you know progress in in ways that um you know sometimes we're like yeah i don't really know exactly what that is or but you bring people together and you say hey you know what i I kind of think about this in this way and then others think about something in this way have you seen some progress in that because that's certainly become um you know kind of one of those wedge issues yeah i will i'll say starting from the negative side i think unfortunately like a lot of our kind of divergent political um rhetoric oftentimes i see people grab hold of a term or a theory or i don't believe in you know, and we saw it all through COVID. I don't believe in X, and and people get all excited or all you know. And then they have to everybody has to decide whether they're on board with masks or not on board with masks. So they support critical race theory, they don't support critical race theory, and I find that very destructive. I think anytime we just pick a thing, and you know, anchor to it and make it bad. I, when I when I was a kid, I don't know if you remember, there's a song that was Russian Russian mothers love their children too. Was the line oh, in the song? Is that it, Sting? It might have been Sting. Might have been, but or it was, the Police. Yes, I think I think it was. Yeah, and you know the idea that we sometimes were mad at the Russians, and so they're all evil. Yeah, and then we realize that you know Russian mothers are just as heart filled about their children as as you know American children. I think the same thing is true around the whole racial issues. We sometimes we get all excited or frustrated. We want to decide whether I am or aren't. You know, I'm not a racist. I am a racist. I, you know, and we just get caught up in the rhetoric. What I found on the other side, the really positive, is I found a ton of people that are really open and honest about, I want to understand where all this comes from. And I mean, we've had over 100 people participate in this Navigating White Identity class, two cl- classes. And, and what I loved was most, most of the people were just trying to figure out what's the pro- you know, what's, what's the, what are the issues, what are the problems. And when we learn about, you know, the the institution of slavery and we see the economic you know peace you know we learn about what happened happened in Oklahoma we learn about you know the constitution and the early founding fathers and we, you know we learn that the you know declaration of independence when it says we the people it wasn't talking about every it wasn't talking about native americans it wasn't talking about slaves it was talking about we and it really was wasn't even talking about women who couldn't vote at the time it was we the people white men kind of and when people look at that and, and, and quit getting frustrated and just go, wow, you mean when they said we the people in the Declaration of Independence, they didn't include my wife? She couldn't vote? And we realized that you know, the women's suffrage movement wasn't that long ago. And to realize that there's been some real significant ills that have happened, um, and we don't have to get defensive about it. We just got to own it and lament and wrestle with it and then figure out ways that we can build relationships and move forward. I've seen a bunch of really, really positive kind of owning of issues, owning of history, and just being, okay, so now what? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I see a lot of folks who will say, um, and I'm curious what, what your, how you navigate or, or respond to that, but some folks will say, how am I owning something that I had no part in, right? I mean, I was just born 30 years ago. Why am I owning what the founding fathers did? Yeah, you know, for me, so a personal story. When George Floyd was murdered, we watched that on TV. My wife, she's African-American, she texted me immediately and said, do you see what's happening? And, and 
and she sends me a picture and she says you know, she was she was just emoting she was struggling with this guy is being killed and we're watching it on TV and she was seeing it live my first response when i'm honest was what did he do to get himself in that situation i blamed the victim in a sense uh, my first response was you, the police don't treat you bad unless you do something wrong so he must be the one in the wrong you know now all the history we look at it i have to own the fact that i, I had those feelings mm-hmm. you know i don't worry about i see a cop car and i and i feel like oh no somebody's hurt but i never worry about i'm going to be in trouble my brother-in-laws have a whole when they see a cop car they get a little bit nervous they have to deal with is this person going to misunderstand me and i'm not against police at all but i realized that i had it i steve had a different perception. My wife is is emotionally seeing a guy being killed, and I'm blaming him for putting some putting himself in that space. Hmm. And 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 the only thing difference is I I was raised with a place where you know cops couldn't do wrong. They were always right. Leadership principles, you know, they're always right. You know, politician. Everybody was you know you just grew up with leadership was right kind of. And to realize that other people have a different experience. And other people have been treated differently. You know, my wife has issues all the time. When she she's a flight attendant with Alaska Airlines. She bumps into people who treat her differently that will speak differently to her. She experiences a very different world than I do. I just have to be willing to acknowledge that. Mm. So I think the biggest issue is for us to be less defensive about the other's opinion and just sit in the story and experience that. I've seen that with you and the work that you've done. It's about sitting with people and understanding their story. Yeah. I think one of the other things that I think is important when we talk about this um, in the kind of aspect of acknowledging, owning, you know, it's interesting because if you're, if you're a believer, right, you're, um, and if you have ever read through the book of Romans or obviously all the scriptures, but particularly Romans (laughs) in terms of how we are, all in Adam, right? I mean, like you think about, um, you know, the, the whole concept of original sin, right? And and not to get super theological here, but that there there is a lot of things that um, that we are tied back to, you know, the you know Adam and Eve and things like that, right? So it's I always find that very uh, very compelling uh, argument and reasoning when it comes to how how do we um, you know, acknowledge and look towards uh, a better future. Tim, I could I could sit here today and say, Tim, you know, you're a sinner, which ultimately that separates you from God, that condemns you to hell. That I mean, there's utter. I could say at the core of your being, there is an ugly part of sin, everything about of you, and you're going to sit there and go, Yeah, I get it. I know me too. Like I get it. If I said, Tim, you're a racist, right away. I get defensive. I don't like that. Like, you can call me a sinner. You can call me the worst term around. You can say I am ugly at my core, and I'll say okay. But for some reason, if you bring up the fact that I might have some racist attitudes in me that I picked up from my grandparents, and or I might have some privilege that I got because I happen to be born a white male as opposed to a Native American, um, and I get mad about it. And I, I wish I wish there was a level of us just to kind of go to have the same attitude we have about sin and go, 
I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. And then now let's process what's our opportunity? What's redemption? What's what's forgiveness? What's a way to move through sin? What's a way to move through racism? Mm. Steve, I wish we had more time here. Um, it's great to be. We'll with have you. to have we'll have to have, have you back on and continue this conversation. It's very good. Steve Burry, executive director of Urban Impact, as well as one of the organizers and leaders of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Prayer Breakfast, which is happening this Monday on Martin Luther King Day at the Sheraton Hotel in downtown Seattle. If you are interested, I'm, I'm telling you, you will be super encouraged by this. And uh, so if you're interested, you should come and you can sign up at mlkprayerbreakfast.com. You can come in person or we have a virtual option. You can sign up and get a virtual link. There it is. Okay. Steve, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. It's Appreciate great to be it. Here.